from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, today's women's ministry. Host Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, talks with Rebecca Lyons, founder of Q Women. Today's conversation is brought to you by Christianity Today magazine, a magazine dedicated to providing quality and truthful Christian thought journalism and reporting from around the world. Podcast listeners can get a 60-day trial, which includes two print issues and complete online access to the website by going to orderct.com NAE. Again, that's orderct.com NAE. And now, let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here today with Rebecca Lyons. Alongside her husband, Cade, Rebecca co-founded Q Ideas, a nonprofit that helps Christian leaders thoughtfully engage culture. She also founded Q Women, focused on equipping women leaders to live out their unique calling. Rebecca also is the author of Free Fall to Fly and her new book, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are. She regularly speaks around the country to hundreds of thousands of women at church events, women's retreats, and conferences like Catalyst, If Gathering, and the Q Conference. She recently went on the Broken and Free Tour with Ann Voskamp and Christy Knuckles, and she knows today's women's ministry, and we're just thrilled to have you with us, Rebecca. Oh, thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. So let's start out by just having you talk about yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got into this ministry of speaking and writing and ministering to women around the country, and is this a dream come true? Is this something you planned on? How did it happen? That's a great question. Certainly isn't ever anything I planned on. I did not imagine that I would write a book ever or speak on a stage. I This is really fairly new for me. It's about four years old since the first book came out. And so really the way it began was we moved to New York City in 2010, and I thought I'm going to the city looking for meaning. It was a midlife reset with three kids, you know, in elementary school. And turns out, I, you know, I'm going to the city looking for meaning, and in some ways I found surrender instead. And I can tell you today that meaning always follows surrender. So often we want a life of purpose and call and assignment and passion, but we're not willing to give up the life that we're currently living. And so New York kind of took that from me, and I began to walk out a story four months in where I was gripped in fear and started to suffer from panic disorder. And because that came out of nowhere, it kind of disrupted and interrupted my life of comfort, of, of somewhat predictability. And uh, and so that was a about a year and a half, two-year journey where God met me in that place of brokenness, crash and burn, if you will, and, and gave me a moment of rescue and started to walk me out in a new healing season of restoration. And so as a result, I had a story to tell, um, something I kind of couldn't be quiet about. And and so as I started to, when you're sick, you only see inward, you see what's broken, and you kind of tend to dwell on what is wrong. But the minute healing begins, your the scales fall from your eyes, and you begin to look out, and you begin to see everyone else. And that's what happened for me. I, I started to walk out my streets in New York, and I started to look and see women just like me who had suffered the same things just like me. And I wrote an article for Q back in the day called Why Are Women Fading? And the idea was that we all march off to college, you know, ready to charge hell with a water pistol. And then two decades later, we've somehow lost the sense 
of who we are. And, and I, I was kind of likening to us to the, we're these bright shining stars, but we fade. We fade because we, we lose our identity, um, somewhere along the way. And we, and, and so we're trying to recover this, these, these gifts that have always been there from the beginning. And so that's how a book came from it. I just, it, I stumbled into it. Um, I'm a chronic sh- oversharer. I always have been my whole life. And I think sometimes God just gives us a story that we won't be quiet about. And, and that's kind of how the story of free fall to fly and, and not my story of struggle, but God's story of rescue in my life began. And then, so when I, when I started to study mental health and especially in the church, I started to get invited to speak at different colleges in particular, because there's, you know, an epidemic on campuses of the younger generation growing up and social media ubiquity where, you know, they, they are the, the, the fragmented ones and the fractured ones in some ways. And they're trying to recover a sense of lostness, even at such a young age. And so that's kind of how the speaking began. It's <laughs> just literally kind of one thing would spiral into the next thing. And, and then here I am four years later and just coming alive in it and, and enjoying it, but never really thinking of it like this was a thing that I always thought I would do. Well, good for you and your willingness to share, because I think probably a lot of people may have similar experiences or at least their unique experiences, and they kind of keep it quiet and they don't bless other people, and and that's just what you're doing. You've especially been um, helpful to women, and I'm I'm interested in in sort of getting your take on this, on do you think, and if you do, why is it important to have a a separate directed ministry to women, both on a national level and in local churches? You know, I think it, it just means it, we all tend to see the felt needs around us. Would I say that women's ministry needs to stand alone indefinitely? No, I don't know that I would say that. Have we left, have we uh, been in the middle of decades of women kind of not really knowing their voice or their call or their assignment, even within the role of church or ministry? Yes, I think that's the case. And so as a result, there, it's, I felt a need to kind of, press the the gas pedal on that and go, even for Q, our organization, you know, I went to Q back in the day and we started 12 years ago and I was, there wasn't many women in the room and I was kind of feverishly taking notes in the corner going, okay, this is really great. You know, Israel-Palestinian conflict and adoption of technology and, and objectification of women, but how do I take this back home to diapers and Cheerios and poop? And is there, is there a way that, that women are not really being challenged with the mind that they have and how do they live out faithfulness in their cultural context, whether it's at the bus stop or CEO in a boardroom or, you know, um, a carpool. And so um, I felt like there was a missing piece there. And then there was always these, you know, these wars of like stay-at-home mom versus working mom. And, and yet working has now been redefined so many times, especially for the entrepreneur or the artist or someone who once flex time to raise a family. And so I just think we, we're just sitting ripe in a moment where women, women's empowerment really kind of tends to be the theme. And so as a result, the church is, is facing the same question the culture is facing of how, how are we equipping and raising up women leaders among us? and not just stereotyping them into the nursery. And so it's just been a good, it's just been a good, um, I don't know, it's been a good exercise for me to ask those questions, wrestle those questions down for myself, and then to help 
other women process those as well. Because I don't believe that calling is gender specific. I think God calls every one of us to um, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and that, and that we are to be, you know, commissioners of, like, bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth, and that's going to look very different for each of us, but we all have a role in it. And so I think it was just really more to just to raise, you know, raise the banner a little bit that, that women need to be in this conversation, not to push them or pressure them or, or give them another job, <laughs> because I don't know that I even wanted a calling back in the day when I thought of it as another assignment. Um, another job I needed to take on. I think calling really is to uncover what's always there, always been there, and just helping women re- be reminded that, hey, there's, in the womb, God put had purpose and intention on your life, and all your days were numbered before they began. So how can we excavate that and not ignore it or, or push it away or lose ourselves uh, in all the roles and responsibilities we, we take on for everyone else? So most people in the world, in America, in the church, are women. So women are in a majority. And if we were to, I don't know, take a survey, not of everybody, but at least in the context of those whom you know and you speak to, what do you think, I guess there's two sides to this. What do they want to hear? And what do you think they need to hear? What's what's the message? Well, the message, I think, is you don't need to look like the other woman who's doing something. Um, there's a lot of pushback in the in the church right now about, around the idea of, just like that calling has to be attached to a personal brand or that you have to have a voice or that you have to be, you know, using your gifts in these specific specific streams, whether it's writing or speaking or, or having a platform of some sort. And it, it actually really loses sight of the whole point of like when Jesus says, follow me, he calls us into his work not our work. He, he, he's saying, you know, take my yoke upon you. Like let's co we're co-laboring. Like we're, we're co-heirs with Christ because of the cross. It's, it's the sense of like, how do we not get ahead and run and, and, and establish our own agenda? But how do we, how do we walk behind him and, and with him and just say, show me where to go, what to say, who to encounter, who to minister to. And so I, I, I think what women need to hear is like, take the pressure off yourself that, that we all need to look alike. We all need to sound alike <laughs> or speak the same language because there's such diversity in the body, and that's there's a reason for that. God's that creative. His imagination is that vast. So, so I'm always about take the pressure off of yourself that calling has to look like this certain box that gets checked. What I think it is is it's just being true to what's always made your heart sing, what makes you come alive, where you where God delights in you and you delight in him and you bear his image in whatever room you walk in and how you serve the people that he's put in front of you and minister to them. And for me, it's been a lot easier to not look to the right or the left of people who do the same thing that I do. It's been a lot easier to just look to the woman that I'm speaking to and and respond to her when she emails me or sends me a direct message or wants to meet for coffee or I meet her in a different city. It's like, when I think of the individual person that I'm ministering to because she maybe is walking the same road that I've walked, it becomes a lot more personal, becomes a lot more intimate, and becomes a lot more vulnerable. And then I don't have to try to fit into some category that culture wants to put on <laughs> maybe the author or the speaker or whoever that person might be. Because I really love that there doesn't have to be rules around this. 
I think sometimes we want the industry wants to make there be rules, but there actually doesn't. We're people. We're human. We're broken. We're, we're all, we all look very different, and and that's what actually brings beauty, I think, to the breadth of the gospel. So let's take this to a local church, and imagine we're sitting around in a circle, and we've got uh, leaders of the church, women, and maybe men there too, and we're talking about how you can take that message and minister to women in the context of the church, whether it's in a program or collectively or you know, however it's done. It seems that some churches do this really well, and then others are just trying to figure it out, struggling on how to connect women and empower them in their callings. So what do you think are, I hate to say this negatively, but what what are our churches not doing very well? If you don't want to talk about that, that's okay. Because most of all, what are some examples of where churches really are doing a good job? Yeah. Well, it's so funny that you asked because I just spent, you know, a long meeting with our senior pastor yesterday asking these same questions. We're a part of a church here in Franklin that's kind of growing, you know, maybe uh, scaling in ways we weren't expecting or, or in greater measure. And there is this sense of responsibility um, to equipping, to training, to raising up, to to discipling, to connecting. And and so I've always been one with a heart for an ecumenical uh, ministry for the capital C church because I tend to, you know, jump on a plane here and there and serve people in their local context and then kind of come back home. But the Lord has definitely impressed it upon me more in these last two years that like I want you to minister where you are I want I want there to be accountability in your local church to to preaching the gospel by whatever means necessary and walking alongside people that are just you know people that you see all the time and so what that has looked like for us in in, in Nashville in particular is um a few of us just got around a table about a year ago and just had a heart for women across the city. And so my, um, I, I've just kind of always had a heart for unity. And so I said, what if we started a citywide gathering under the covering our church, um, offered by our church, but it is, it's, it's for the city and it's to bring women all around Nashville into one space. And we'll, we'll do some equipping. We'll do some teaching. We'll, um, we're not asking people to leave their local church. We're just, this is an expression of unity for our city. But then it does go back to the question of like, then how are we helping? We've had 130 churches represented so far in the six months that we've met. And it's been a beautiful expression of citywide unity. But then we're still challenging and expressing these women, like, go back and use your gifts to create something where you are. Um, volunteer to teach a class or volunteer to disciple a group of young millennials who are coming. There are so many people that are full of zeal and passion that are in their 20s. And I look at them, and I'm, I'm inspired by them. I'm like, you still have um, your life ahead of you and you want to know more you want to be mentored so i want i want to invest in that i i think god is just so clear like don't go for the healthy go for the sick those who are hungry and thirsty for me for my righteousness for my name for my glory and so i'm finding um even in young people i mean i tend to kind of span the range of women that i connect and resonate with whether it's someone who's 20 or someone who's 60 but for different reasons. I think the 20-year-old is asking me, will I lose myself if I raise a family? <laughs> How will calling be um, displayed if I get married and have children at a young age? Or will, will it, is it all possible 
to, to embrace it all. And then the 60-year-old is saying, you know, maybe I've poured everything into someone who's become an empty nest, and I'm now an empty nester, and I've sent my youngest away to college, and, and she's full. I'm empty, and she's full. And so they're asking, is it too late to, you know, to go <laughs> to go to seminary or to, to take on a new thing? And I'm in both ranges, the question, the answer is always like, no, it's not too late. It's never too late. And you don't, you trust that God calls us to all of this, right? He, if, he, if he brings a, a man in our life or children, uh, he calls, he entrusts us with a calling to steward that relationship, to love and to nurture those um, children well, just like if he gives us a burden for ministry in our local context uh, within the church, um, then how do we roll up our sleeves and we do life with people that way? And um, I, I very much think that if we don't have a local ministry within the covering and the authority of a church, um, we could get a little sidetracked. We could get a little derailed. We could start to um, embellish ourselves and our message. Um, God says always, like, submit yourself humbly, you know, clothe yourself with <laughs> humility and kindness, you know, clothe yourself with strength and dignity, but humility and kindness. And I think for women, sometimes the message is like, oh, I'm woman, hear me roar, move over men. And no, that's... That's never the posture that it was ever supposed to be. God made men and women to complement each other, to work together, even in these local contexts. So I'm a big fan of, of church, and I'm a big fan of raising up women within the church to lead. And even if it means that sometimes I'll need to get around a table with senior leaders of a church, and if it is more weighted with men, I'll ask those questions like, where are the women who are also speaking into this that are women that are leading um, that can also train up and raise up women um, underneath them? I think passing that baton is is very important. And I'm only 43, but I don't want to lose sight that I, ca I carry a role in passing that baton from, from the generation that went before me to the generation coming behind me. Well, let's talk about the generation that came before you. So let's suppose we go back a decade. I, I, I may be wrong on this, but it seems to me that there were a lot of structures in place in the church in the past, sort of fences or boundaries of the way it was supposed to be done. And right. what you're talking about really fits with the title of your book, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are. So how do you see that things have changed, I don't know, let's say in the last 10 years or maybe in the last two decades? What's different now? Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a great question. It would probably require so much more time. But in general, in general, I think women are waking to kind of, you know, if the Spirit of God is what offers and gives us power and authority, male, female, sons, daughters, then then there it's it's important to note that like the spirit of god who births things through us through trial through through trauma through grief through forgiveness bitterness whatever it is that he's actually taking us into uh that that's going to be made evident at some point in time and so i never planned to be a quote unquote one who would teach or even preach if you will but but god has just kind of said like I'm giving you, I'm burning something in your heart. I'm giving you a message that you need to just, just own it, just own it. But then I, I want you to actually submit too. <laughs> and so it's, I don't know. I think women are wrestling with that right now because there are a lot of strong women in, 
in the church right now that are just saying, just move over um, because, you know, I've got a word. <laughs> and, you know, I appreciate, um, like, how the Spirit will bring confidence, um, but I also know that he brings temperance and humility at the same time. And so I think wisdom and maturity says, okay, you have something to say here, and I have something to say here, and we're going to lean in and we're going to listen to each other. I think maybe in the generation before me, women had less permission to actually be heard. Um, and I don't know that men were just completely shutting it down, but I think women were also kind of just not making too much. They weren't pushing either. It was just kind of this understood thing. I think my generation is, has had to navigate this bridge role of coming out of maybe a childhood of not really sure where our freedoms were found um, to, to living into the freedom that we have um, as a son and a daughter of a king, but then also still not getting, like, not letting the pendulum swing to the other extreme that, that just says, I'm a woman, hear me roar, I don't submit to authority. And I think the most mature women who even have voice in the church now would readily admit that. They, they're not looking to just prove something and beat down walls out of resentment or bitterness or anger. There, there's a confidence that comes, but there's also real respect that comes with that. And I'm, I'm hoping, honestly, I'm praying that that's what the millennials catch wind of. Because if we're not careful, we'll raise a bunch of strong women in the church that are just still mad and bitter and they're angry. And, and, and you hear it, you hear it on Twitter. And I'm just like, this isn't really doing anyone any good because it just looks like you're operating out of a wound at this point versus operating out of freedom and wholeness and, and, you know, spirit-filled authority, <laughs> if you will. All right, so you talk about Twitter, so there's social media, but there's also, over the internet, there's lots of uh, means, lots of vehicles to, I don't know, hear speakers, to dialogue with one another, and with busy lives, so somebody's a, a mom and maybe has a job and connecting in the community, maybe volunteering, doing all these things, and can kind of skip the church. So it used to be, that if you're going to have like a women speaker, then women in the church would gather together and the speaker would be there. And the only way they could hear what she had to say was to go to church and hear what she had to say. Or if you wanted to be in a small group, that was the only way you could do it is to go there and be with them. But now with technology, it seems like it's possible to do a lot of these things without the church. So how's the, how does that work? And how does the church fit in with all of this? Well, I think for, first of all, it'd be great for the church to look for the local voices in there. Like, say there's a woman in their community who ha who's local to them, who has some sort of, she's, she's a teacher, whether or not they've invited her to be one in their space or not. I think a lot of churches aren't really extending an invitation to these women in their local church. Maybe they're thinking they're too busy. Um, but I think there's a lot of women out there who have somehow, they've developed a voice uh, online They've somehow garnered a following, and they're kind of being abandoned by their their local pastor. They're not actually – I've talked to many women who don't feel shepherded, who don't feel pastored, who feel very alone. And I can't tell if it's that the pastors or the churches feel like like this person doesn't want it, or it's the other person, the, the woman who just says, no, I don't think they actually would invite me in. It, it, it's, it's a strange moment right now where – if we just had more communication across the table, 
where where whoever it is that that does these online Bible studies or writes these books or whatever were to come to their local pastor in a church and say, I you know I want to come under the covering of this church. I want accountability. Um, I want leadership. And and how can I serve here? I think if we had more of those dialogues, we wouldn't see this disparity where 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 we're not really championing the local church. I mean, for me personally, I'm going to always push people back to their local church. I mean, sure, you can you can watch a study, um, but then I'm going to go back to the local church and go, are we offering discipleship for women through this? These four walls are are we digging deep, or are we have we kind of let it go because we stopped Sunday school and small groups was supposed to fill that, but we really don't have a discipleship channel for me to even know how to use my gifts so my 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 thinking is for a lot of these senior pastors, especially if it's in a church that has grown and has you know a lot of women in those spaces i my first question would be to them. What have you created? What systems and ministries have you created within your four walls that you're inviting people who already love and are passionate about this to do to come participate in? Have you extended the invitation to them? Um, and, and my thinking is some are doing that well, and some maybe there's just a break in communication, and, and no one's really sure what the other person's thinking. Going back to what you said earlier about sitting around the table and everything you just said fits with let's gather these women together and the leadership of the church, if that includes men, and um, let's ask the women what they think. Am I hearing you right? And and don't bring them together and put them around the table and tell them what they think, but ask them. Yeah, because well, here's, what, here's what I do know is that as one who interacts with women all day long, all week long, because it's it's literally what I pour my heart into. So I'm I'm going to be more informed than a senior level team of men who might not even have a woman on their team um, on what the needs and the pulse of women is, even in their church. You know, it's we just because we're in it, we're we're having those conversations day in and out. We we know what the felt needs are. We know what the tensions are. We know how women have been. Um, how, how some would readily say, you know, I've lost hope in the church, or I, I, I wasn't supported here when I started, you know, going through severe depression or bipolar disorder, or the church didn't know how to minister to me when my husband walked out, and 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 so we're in some ways we've all become these these lay ministers, these pastoral caregivers, if you will. Um, but we're not equipped to do that really on a national level. It should all, those needs should always be met by the local church. And, and, and if, if, there's, if there could be a summit, honestly, if there could be a summit where female voices who somehow have, have earned the ear of, of women for whatever reason, I don't even know how it happens, it just happens, but for, for voices who are teaching and yet there feels like there's a disparity between um, kind of the influence they have and then the local church, if we could all just come together in a room and, and just have real honest conversations around tables by city, maybe, um, by state, by, by denomination. I don't care what it looks like, but to, to me, communication will, sh- will, what will surface out of those discussions in my mind is more alignment than we would have ever imagined. We just never extended ourselves in those kind of dialogues. I'm going to ask you a question. If you just want to, pass on this, just do that. And I want to ask you about men's ministry, because I realize okay. 
that you know a whole lot, and I'm just amazed and learning on what you're saying about women and women's ministry and connecting to the church. So what about what about men? Um, what do you what do you know about men's ministry in churches? And I mean, should there be equal programming? Should it be parallel or should it be different? Well, here's the thing. I, I don't want to speak. I mean, I, what do I know from what my guesses and my hunches from what I can gather is there's not a lot of women who have dug deep in the word, especially lately, especially in these last few years. There's, and I see as a result, I see women being then growing up and raised up that hold deep conviction around scripture who are really discipling their children at home, who, um, they're rallying for each other. There's a sisterhood. And I think these are all gifts of just the Spirit pouring out on, on women that are seeking His faith. He says, you know, I'm not going to withhold myself from a heart expectant. I'm not, you're coming to me asking for more of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more of me. And so that because that's been a, on the rise for women in particular, because there's been, I think it comes from wounds and, and, and heartache and heartbreak and abandonment or loss of voice or whatever the hurt is that created a yearning and desire for women to know more of God, to beg for more of him. He's not, he's not holding back. So he's doing that. So, so that's over here on this side. So then you look at men and it almost feels like in some ways they're taking they're looking at it. They're looking at this and getting a picture of it, and they're trying to figure it out. Because, you know, we had promise keepers a couple decades back where there was a, a movement of men by God that really stood up in convictions and began to lead with, you know, the same authority the Spirit would give them. Well, I feel like right now we're in a moment where, where, where these women are looking to men, too, and going, like, I, I feel this fire in my belly <laughs> for God and for his kingdom and 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 let's do this together and I think sometimes the men are like I'm good I'm okay like we're good and and so in my mind it's not going to ever be right unless it's aligned on both sides where where there's a move of men that's just as powerfully strong that 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 mirrors and matches the move of women and and maybe it'll come in, in cycles maybe it'll come at the same time but my prayer is that 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 the reason why men's ministries are important is especially in the areas of accountability is when one woman's hearing from another woman that a man's threatening to walk out or divorce her like who's like I can call my friend on that all day long but who's actually calling her husband on that <laughs> who who are where's the accountability levels falling for men and I think that's what ministries are for. But the difference in the two is that men um, are far more prone to be vulnerable and share the, the yuck and the secrets, whereas men tend to kind of keep that tucked away. So by the time, you know, the, there's a fire in the kitchen, it's partly because men have not had an, a vehicle or forum for which to share that, like, we're at a crisis stage here. So if men's ministry can help serve that and there's no shame around it and there can be kind of this same discipleship. I mean, men need to be raised up as spiritual fathers. If we don't have spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers is not going to be enough. It is not going to be enough. So in my heart, my passion is that like that, 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 that these men leading the church speak as a father, as, as one who is 
speaking destiny over the church, who's speaking um, calling and purpose, um, modeling discipleship. They're not insecure. They're not threatened. Um, they're, they're not threatened to let women lead. You know, like to me, we could just use a whole lot more of this. And it probably is happening in pockets. So I certainly don't want to do a broad brush and say this doesn't exist because I do, I'm seeing it exist here and there. But my prayer is that we can just, we can really embrace this and, um, and that we can do it out of, um, you know, <laughs> might sound real idealistic, but my heart really is that we would, ha- that we would approach this with like a, our whole heart, like a heart of sincerity that says, hey, you know, maybe we got this wrong um, or maybe in the past we're getting this wrong, but but God's humbling us, whether we're men or women, and we want to learn alongside each other and with each other, and we want to hear each other, and we want to ask God to kind of get in the middle of all this. I have one more question I want to ask you, and it goes back to your book, your, your new book, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are. Uh, I think you've sort of given us some of the content of the book and the, the message in it. I'm interested in who you see as your readers. Uh, is it individuals that are sitting home by themselves or, you know, on a vacation, or is it a group that gets together? And then, strange question, is it okay for men to read the book? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I hope so. You know, the whole point of You Are Free, it's it's really written around the book of Galatians, and it's, it's, it's not for those outside the church, it's for the church. And the idea uh, that I came, you know, part of the book is just, I was doing the same thing that the Church of Galatia was doing. I was rendering the cross not enough and that I needed to add and do all these things correctly and I needed the approval of man and I needed to perform for God's love and and, and that's when Paul gets real loud about this for six chapters and he's just saying, you've been freed and you've ex- readily accepted this freedom, so don't run back. Why do you keep running back and acting as fearful slaves? And that's what so many of us, in the church are doing, starting with me. Like, I'm, I'm speaking, preaching to the choir here. I grew up, I prayed the sinner's prayer at five. I didn't want to burn. I didn't really even know what I was being saved from, but I believed it was true. I believed Jesus was the Son of God, and I grew up with that. And it wasn't until even into my mid-20s and 30s that I began to learn uh, that that part of, you know, my intimacy and freedom and union with Jesus in the secret place was trumped and shut down by the, the need for the, the approval of men and women. It got louder than my intimacy and union with God. And so it's been, honestly, only in the last, I would say, seven years where, where God and the Spirit has just arrested my life and said, hey, I'm going to show you, <laughs> show you the, the bondage that you don't even realize you're walking in because it's been so learned. It's just been something you've carried. So, so yes, I hear all the time from readers, men and women, like, I I didn't even know I was enslaved. And I'm like, amen, me too. Like, part of it is like, it's just we're, we have blinders on and we don't really realize that we're, we're propping up, you know, in some ways, like a religious way of approaching God that, that is very contingent on what we bring to him instead of what he offers us that he's already readily made available to us. And so um, as far as my reader, I would say that it can be an individual. I find, you know, a lot of my readers um, have come to the bottom of the the pit. And I find that it resonates most with people who've walked a season of wilderness, who have 
been disenchanted by by the church and and sometimes God who who felt you know kind of the pains of loss depression grief um, lostness fear of purposelessness um, and 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 then I think it also will be targeted to the person who's just about maybe they've been in the church and in ministry for so long but it's lost they've lost their first love in it they've almost lost the reason of why they got into it in the first place. Um, you know, it's like, is, is, is Jesus dear to them? Is it, is it, is it, or is it just like, you know, their livelihood? And so, um, you know, it's just been real interesting to hear. I mean, I, as you can imagine, um, I'm pretty vulnerable in the way that I write. So I get, I hear all the stories. I get all kinds of emails of me, people telling me just the gamut of what, you know, their life and their story has looked like. And the theme that I keep seeing is that, that, that really rises is the one who just said, wow, it's true. He really has rescued me. Like in Psalm 18, he's pulled me, he set me up into a wide open space. Um, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And I think that's where real transformation comes. I think once you've had an encounter in your life at some point where you You'd given up. You, you Surrender stared you in the face, and you had no choice but to submit. I think when we get to that place in life, all of a sudden God gets real loud. And we don't really want to go back to the way things were before then, when we were kind of, you know, the master of our destiny and where we let God, you know, in on it every once in a while. I think what I'm seeing now is just more and more people of a reckless abandon that just says, hey, I don't, I don't want to play church. I don't have energy for it. I don't want to play politics. I, I just I want to follow Jesus, and I want to do it in the way that that requires all of me. And um, <laughs> have your way, God. <laughs> and and I'm grateful for that because I really think that's where revival begins. I think that's what stirs the heart the hearts of the church in like a large way and a fresh wind and a fire that they could sweep. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm excited. I'm excited that God's power is just as transformative today as it was in Acts. And that Pentecost is available, <laughs> you know, it, it's true. Like, I sometimes feel like I read through the New Testament, I'm like, okay, is this a, an interesting story? Or, like, are we going to watch fresh revelation now? Are we, you know, I think of our generation who left the church, my my friends, my friends, you know, back in the 80s and 90s who left the church, or my, my, my dear friends, some of my family. Um, they didn't leave the church because there wasn't well-intentioned hearts. They left because there, there was never an an experience with a God of power who literally rescued them from darkness and brought them into light. And so the more we actually watch people go from death to life or walk from dark to light or feel like once I was blind and now I see, then um, then we're starting to see the kingdom just break out. And that gets me really excited. Our guest on today's conversation has been Rebecca Lyons, author of the new book, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Rebecca. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.